This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Ruth Zuckerman. If you don't know who she is, you should probably not be listening to our podcast because you missed the last 20 years in the industry. But we're at Ruth, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pete. Happy to be here. Excellent. So Ruth was one of the uh, the founders and innovators behind SoulCycle, Flywheel, and we're probably going to find out on this podcast what her next endeavor will be. But uh, Ruth, why don't you give your quick couple minute background and we'll we'll plug the book later since it was very uh, insightful for me. Sure. Uh, and then we'll talk about uh, being an, uh, a crazy entrepreneur and see what you have to say about that. With pleasure. <laughs> uh, sure. I grew up on Long Island. I uh, went to college in Massachusetts at Mount Holyoke College and had a pretty much lifelong goal of becoming a professional dancer. I moved to New York City the moment I graduated because that was also one of my goals. Um, spent about two years auditioning, dancing with small modern dance companies that paid zero. Mm-hmm. Um, constant rejection, you know, showing up at auditions where they'd be auditioning 100 people. I might make it down to the last 10, but I didn't get the job. Mm-hmm. So as good as I was, I wasn't good enough, especially if I wanted to stay in New York, which I did. Uh, fish out of water moment, had no idea what was next. Floundered quite a bit, uh, got married uh, again because I didn't know what else to do. Um, (laughs) Sorry, not that simple, but um, part of it. And uh, that didn't work. So I got divorced, and that was my second fish out of moment, water, uh, fish out of water moment uh, where I really didn't know what was next. And I had six year old twins, girls at the time. Um, and still do, but they're not six. And um, I started taking spin classes. I decided to try it one day. I was kind of intrigued. Uh, It was at the Reebok Sports Club, which is now an Equinox Mm -hmm. on the Upper West Side. I got myself in there one day and that was it, Pete. It was uh, 45 minutes and it was a transformation within this very short period of time. Um, There was so much in it that just hooked me. And coming from a dance background, I immediately saw there were a lot of similarities to dancing, even though I'm up there on a stationary bike, ostensibly going nowhere. And that was the start of my next passion, which in retrospect was 25 years after I uh, stopped dancing. Mm -hmm. So good life lesson. So so when you go back to that initial spin class, what gave you the now it seems obvious. So if, if you just go back, because there are people starting businesses all the time and they'll be obvious in five years to what they're doing today, but they're, they're struggling with getting capital or convincing someone that this is the future. Um, what gave you the, um, the bravado, if you will, mm-hmm. to say, you know what, this is a standalone business and I think I can make that work when it was traditionally inside the club is a basically a free amenity. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I think one of the biggest reasons why I was so drawn in was because I was going through a divorce. I was going through a traumatic period in my life. And I saw instantly how after each class, I felt empowered. I felt mm-hmm. strengthened. So obviously that's something we can all benefit from. You know, we always need to be a little stronger to get through this journey called life. So um, I started teaching classes because I became so hooked on it. And once my teaching career started at Reebok, I noticed how the lines were getting longer and longer for my class. So the popularity was increasing. And a key moment uh, was noticing that everybody came to spin class, only came to spin class. And it was really um, dramatic to me because at the Reebok club, there were so many choices. There was 
a huge schedule of group fitness. There was every kind of piece of equipment you can imagine, yet spinners only spun, Mm -hmm. so to speak, Um, which really was my first biggest clue that this could be a standalone because why are they paying these big pricey gym memberships if this is all they're doing. Gotcha. So when you when you started teaching spin, and obviously you you have this dance background, so you want to be a professional dancer. And I think it holds true for a number of the the instructors now, but do you think or did you think of yourself as like, I'm an entertainer? I am a, a leader. Did you know? How did you kind of you know get into the zone of what your role was? As far as being an entertainer, absolutely not. Okay. Um, I'm pretty much an introvert, surprisingly, mm. even though I get up there every day in front of all these people. Um, one of my prime motivations again, was to help other people, to empower other people. So the focus of my class was always on the riders as opposed to myself. Mm -hmm. That's not to say there aren't incredibly successful spin instructors who certainly are entertainers and kind of that's their jam and that's what they do and it works really well. For me, it was never my motivation. Hmm. Interesting. And how many classes did you used to teach a, a day? Oh my God. When I started at Soul Cycle in the very beginning, I was teaching about 22 classes a week. So up to three a day. And um, boy, did it take a toll. Yeah. But I was so passionate about this business and so excited about it that, you know, especially in the beginning when we only had a few other instructors who I hadn't necessarily trusted at that time to be a big draw, I wanted to teach as many as I possibly mm-hmm. could. And when you first saw the the rise of uh, of Soul Cycle and and the people being waitlisted for your classes, how was, was there a business plan that said, okay, we're going to sell out all these 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 bikes? Was it, uh, hey, here's what the monthly financials look like, or were you really like, look, this is my passion, I love it, and we're going to this is an experiment, and we'll kind of see where it goes from here. I mean, a lot of it was done by gut, and um, at Soul Cycle, once we really saw that it was taking off. The strategy was as simple as, okay, we need to start opening more studios as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And and how soon can we do it? And then as you looked at the growth, you know, how did you th- how did you feel about taking the next step? Obviously, you go from the you know Upper West Side to to another location in Manhattan, but then obviously started going to, to other cities. What, did you have fear about where, you know, can we can we maintain the authenticity? You know, what were some of the, the hurdles that, that went through your mind? I definitely had that fear. And in fact, I remember uh, during Soul Cycle days when we were first talking about expansion and how much we should expand, I was hesitant for sure. And I was wrong. I mean, I think we clearly needed to expand and we clearly were able to find talent other than what we had already had. Moving to Flywheel, where I was uh, there for a much longer period of time, it was it was definitely, you know, front of mind in terms of keeping the authenticity. I like to think of myself as an authentic person. And what I learned ultimately was there's such a trickle-down theory. And so I really had my hands on everyone who was hired on the creative end, on the talent end, and ended up choosing people that were very much like me and, mm-hmm. and very authentic unto themselves. And so for that reason, it worked. Um, maybe you'll get to this in a little bit, but th- the question always remains, how big do you go? How many studios do you open before you lose authenticity? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we should go, go there sure. now because we, we get, um, <laughs> just as a backdrop, so some entrepreneurs come in and they say, okay, 
I'm going to open up one location. I need funding for that. And then we're going to go from 10 to 20 to 100 to 500. And, you know, they have these hockey stick projections. And, you know, our advice is typically like, do, do one. Okay, let's get the unit economics right. Let's figure out what it means and like what's the DNA to the business. And then like, let's plan accordingly. So as you looked at the growth, you said, okay, yeah, there's, there's demand for this, but do we need to fill that demand or like, what's the, there's an economic and financial benefit and everybody loves growth. But at the end of the day, you know, we're building something special and you can't, uh, like Joe Cerulli, we did an interview with, he's, he's the uh, CEO of the Gainesville fitness clubs. And he's like, look, these, I don't stamp out boxes. Like these things, these are places I live, you know, and I basically create them with my hands and I create communities around them. I love them and, that. And, and it's not a box. So if you're a private equity group and you want to stamp out boxes, like go to another operator, cause I'm not the box guy. So looking back, but also looking forward to things you want to do and say, look, I want to create something special and I want to create it for these amount of people. Like you don't have to, you know, educate the world. Like there's, there's segments. A hundred percent. And this is a huge theme for me right now and something I think about a lot, which is, you know, it all started with growing a community and that's what made it special and keeping it authentic and remembering why we're doing what we're doing. Business people, I'll just be really general, Mm -hmm. started to see the numbers and immediately, immediately thought, I'm in, I want to get in on that. Right. And so they did. And as a result, businesses, as far as I'm concerned, these types of businesses grew way too quickly and way too big. And yeah, authenticity was compromised. The community was compromised. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, it really affected the businesses in a negative way. And so, you know, the question is, and I don't have the answer, you know, what is the magic number? All I can tell you is, from my experience at Flywheel, let's say, we were acquired in 2014 by a group of people that again saw the numbers and said let's go with this let's make this real let's make this super big mm-hmm. uh, we had 21 studios when we were acquired and we were cooking and we were doing great ultimately uh, flywheel ended up with 42 studios not cooking mm-hmm. not and um, there it was you know a it was the consequences of of just putting the focus in the wrong place. Um, you know, dollar signs are very seductive, mm-hmm. but unfortunately the business couldn't withstand it. And um, it was just compromised in many, many ways. And the community really started to get lost. Mm-hmm. We've, um, we've worked with a couple of groups and uh, there, there's one in particular and they, they only operate clubs in one state. And uh, they were looking to do a transaction and uh, investors came back that, that we solicited and they said, well, the one state, this isn't, it's not big enough. I know they got a hundred thousand members and they got 13 locations, but you know, I need to see that, that it could grow to right. adjacent states and I can take the brand and I can put, you know, different logos on it and, you know, it could be a part of one umbrella. And I went back to the owners and they said, well, we're, we're fine doing what we're doing. Like we like to drive to every club. We like to know who the general managers are. We like to know the names of our group exercise instructors. And if investors don't like it, then we'll wait to find one that does. So um, there you go. You know, as you think about what you know, what you've learned, and you know, I use this term a lot on probably every podcast. But experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. And you being a pioneer, 
in the industry and basically have ceded intellectually and and with sweat tears and, and capital, you know, two of the the bigger brands in the in the boutique space. You know, you've already made a name for yourself, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, but like your next big, you know, push doesn't necessarily need to be I'm creating the next billion dollar company. It might be, hey, I'm creating something that's authentic, that's getting people results, and maybe I affect ten thousand people or a hundred thousand. But it doesn't need to be, um, you know, like on a treadmill. You know, take Peloton as an example. Like the stock's going to get crushed when they don't have quarterly earnings that show X amount of subscribers. It's like, well, it affected a lot more people than they initially thought. And I'd yes. say like, you know, kudos for them for Agreed. pulling that off. Yes. Um, but, but the, the, the growth trajectory that they're going to need to hit is staggering compared to like what's realistic, you know, in, 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 in growth. So that's a long winded. I think there was a question there somewhere. So if you can find <laughs> it, please answer it. <laughs> Well, I assume you were going to at some point ask me what's next, but I think you already actually answered that question (laughs) in the sense that, you know, yes, I've learned a lot. And, you know, again, going back to authenticity and what I enjoy doing is the group fitness sector. And, you know, that's another part I left out in my previous answer, which is it's, it's obviously not that simple. It wasn't just about too much expansion. It was about, it's also been about what's happened to the industry and, mm-hmm. and the focus now on digital and at home products. So that clearly had a huge effect on boutique group fitness business. But at the same time, I've, since I left Flywheel a, a little over a year ago, I've spent the last year talking to a lot of people in the industry, customers of the industry. And I am convinced that the need for group fitness and more specifically the need for community is never going away. And Mm -hmm. um, people really want to connect in this day and age of disconnection. And it's just a human need. And so I will always believe in that. Right. So so, and I'm an avid fitness, uh, boutique fitness user. So I'm five or six days a week. I'm either going to spin class or, as I mentioned, we're invested in Switch Playground or Barry's Boot Camp or what have you. I feel like there's, sometimes there's there's a disconnect with the people that work there in understanding like, okay, it's entertainment and people yes. are coming here for entertainment uh, versus people coming for fitness is typically to get some meaningful results, whether yes. that's mental or mostly physical, I think, you know, you, even though, we're, you know, there's definitely an emotional component and mm-hmm. a therapeutic component to, to, you know, a soul cycle class or so on and so forth. But uh, I feel like some of these groups have lost their way in understanding, like people are going there, they're going to work, right? And, and you got to show them results. Like no one comes up to me when I'm on a spin bike and says, hey, by the way, your form, like you should, if you, if you put your hips further back, you're going to, get noticeably more results yes. from this class. Um, or when I go to a switch class, I don't understand how no one knows my name. You know, like maybe there should be a, a name tag. If there's lights on and you want to have a, a community, a community should have names associated with people. So important. <laughs> so, um, you know, a, as you look at how the industry is, has, you know, blown up, um, obviously when when good things happen, a lot of people rush and say, okay, I'm going to be the soul cycle, but in, you know, a different environment, or I'm going to use some different gadgets and, you know, TRX straps, and I'm going to do X, Y, Z. So, so what do you see as like, what's authentic and necessary versus, 
you know, this is kind of a bell and whistle and that's not really what people are looking for. You kind of hit upon it when you were talking about the importance of form cues and corrections. For me, it's always been about keeping the workout super safe and injury-free if possible. Mm -hmm. And that only happens when the instructor is really tuned into what the class is doing. Mm -hmm. And um, so much of what I see out there now and back then there, there are so many dangerous moves that people are doing in class because, again, the people at the top, uh, the creative leads, actually surprisingly don't have physical fitness backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned a lot myself through my dance career and, and the classes I've taken in whatever, exercise physiology, anatomy, um, to be able to stand behind what I do. And that mm-hmm. was a big emphasis actually at Flywheel in the training of all the instructors, making sure everyone knew what they were doing and everyone knew the safe positions and the most efficient positions. So to me, that will always be a huge component of any boutique fitness I will ever do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's frustrating because it's dangerous out there. Mm-hmm. And when, when you were uh, overseeing uh, Flywheel and the instructors, and I've just had a couple of experiences that I, that I wanted to flag for you and get, your, get your opinion on. Okay. So there's, there's one, uh, I went to one spin class and it was like at 7.30 at night and the instructor's like, oh, this is my, my fifth class of the day. And, you know, the, the guy's like putting his shoes on like during the first song. And I felt like, I felt like I was on the equivalent of like, like a really bad Southwest Airlines flight where like the pilot's telling you like what his day looked like, which is terrible, right? I want this to be the most important flight of his day, right? And I also, totally. um, you know, don't, I'd like the, the, the person to be prepared. Like I'm, the first song doesn't need me to watch, you know, him or her like strap in to the rental shoes. So like, <laughs> like when you talk about growth and you talk about like controlling the, and the quality control or like what, people understanding like what they're there for and what they're providing. Like what are some of the things that you've seen or like comments on that? Or, you know, you say, well, look, you know, that's, that's because of X, Y, Z. I actually remember (laughs) a specific flywheel instructor announcing that before his class. And I remember approaching him and saying, what are you doing? Nobody, no one cares about you. You are supposed to care about all the riders in the class. We don't need to know how many classes you taught today. So, I mean, your comment, again, drives back to what I was saying before in terms of my particular emphasis was always about the riders and not about what I was going through. However, that being said, a big part of my class was also the emotional and is is the emotional component. And what I would do is I might talk about specific uh, challenges I was going through, but I would never speak about them in the subjective way. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say, oh, this happened to me this week. I would speak about it in a very general way because the odds are everyone, uh, not everyone, but a large percentage of the class has experienced exactly what I just experienced this week. Mm-hmm. And so it's cathartic for them to, to know, oh, I'm not alone. I, have, I experience the same challenges that that person does or that person. And sure. that's incredibly strengthening. Mm-hmm. So is that, do, do you teach someone to be either empathetic or like storytelling as part of like your instructor training or? You know, all part of that is what I call the X factor of the mm-hmm. instructor. And a lot of it cannot be taught. Right. However, I think if you're a really good trainer of instructors, you can kind of coax it out. 
of mm-hmm. them because it's all within us. And so much of it is about experience, which brings confidence, which brings you the ability as an instructor to talk about things that are scary or um, take risks up there because you're confident enough to feel safe. Got it. So if I was a summer camp counselor, would I potentially have more of an X factor than the average? I think that might be true, Good. Pete. That's good to know. I'm 47, <laughs> but I can always step, step on my next career, hopefully. Um, you know, as you, I'm sure you get hit up, you know, constantly with people asking you for advice and to be a mentor and, um, you know, take, take people under your wing. And, you know, in, in your book, you talk about find your path and you talk about passion and, and fill your soul and follow, you know, the, the direction that, that, your, that your gut's telling you to go in. Um, in this day and age of, of so much competition in the boutique space, in the fitness industry in general, you know, how do you kind of guide people and balance, you know, the fact that, look, you're entering into something. If, if you're a restaurant entrepreneur, and you say, hey, I'm going to open up this new restaurant. It's like, okay, look, let's just, 93% of all restaurants close within two years. Right? Okay, so let's just like put that as a, as a benchmark just so you understand like what your probability of success is. And then let's talk about, you know, irrational competition and like what class pass can do to your business, positive and negative. Yeah. You know, what a landlord can and can't do, what investors can and can't do. You know, all the things that need to happen in order for this to really be super successful, you know, it's, it's, it's very small percentage. It is. So, so how do you, you know, give people guidance and, and inspiration at the same time, like a dose of like, look, here's the reality, not to, but just, you know, cause it's important. Absolutely. So how do, how do you, how do you handle that? I, I, obviously I can only speak about my experience and what I would tell everyone is we, we kind of hit on it before. The, I would stress the importance of authenticity, understanding why you're going into this business. If you are going into it just to make a lot of money, I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest it. Um, obviously, if it's something you really believe in and are passionate about, you're going to enjoy building it. And there's a lot to be said for that component. There's a lot to be said for your gut instincts and um, kind of matching your gut with your experience. That's kind of what gut is. It's it's kind. Of, someone told me this recently, and it made so much sense to me. It's kind of marrying the conscious, meaning your experiences, with the unconscious, mm-hmm. and it's really a great um, guide, a, a great guide in business. Um, you know, and again, just really understanding if if we're talking about fitness specifically. I can't overemphasize the importance of community, people, treating people respectfully, whether it's your customers or your employees. Got it. So when, when you look at the different phases of companies that you've been in, so you started working at, at the Reebok Club, which was, I guess you could call it, you know, institutional yes. capital and professional at the time. And then SoulCycle, obviously, like a, the startup of startups. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flywheel, kind of probably a startup, but with more knowledge of like how to run the play. Do you find, did you find yourself saying like, okay, I, I like the chaos at this level or like there's not enough challenge or like it's a different type of challenge that I don't like? Like in my business, I feel like um, I like finding the deals. I like closing the deals. I don't necessarily like certain components in the middle of them. Um, yeah. And I like working with certain companies that are smaller because it's more meaningful, um, where larger companies, they don't really need my advice as much. So mm-hmm. it's just a different 
benefit to me, you know, holistically. So how do you feel about like where you've been and like, you know, where people could say, where you could say to people, look, you're probably like zero to five year old company is kind of where you should be. And when it turns five, like you should probably go find something else. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this again in the last year as I focus on what's next. And I have really come to terms with the fact that I just really like to build. I really like to build things. And in combination with that, I'm a people person. So I like to build and be in situations where I get to make people feel better about themselves. And it's just, it's interesting to me just because that's, that was one of the biggest reasons I enjoyed teaching spin classes is because I was directly making, uh, hoping to make my riders feel better about themselves. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of did the same thing when I started building companies and growing companies in terms of the employee base and making them feel good about themselves. And you know, as we know, if our employees are happy and they feel good and they kind of feed off your passion, then they want your business to succeed as much as you do. So it's it's like a winning formula. Mm-hmm. And it's very gratifying at the same time. Yeah. Well, the one thing that you say back at camp was a happy counselor makes a happy camp. So <laughs> there you go, go. pull that back in again. <laughs> so when, when you looked at, at Bill on the build side, mm-hmm. how much of it was related to here's the experience and here's the community and somebody else can say, okay, let's figure out like what the pricing model is or how did you kind of toggle between the two? Because I feel like there's entrepreneurs that come in and say, look, I'm going to create this amazing experience, even though there's no real competitor, competitive barriers to entry. Like, just trust me, like higher dose as an example, mm-hmm. I think has created like an experience and created a brand yes. that like delivers on that experience. At the same time, there's, you know, you turn the page and it's like, okay, $35 for a half hour, $450 for a blanket. So when you look at a business, you know, do you, I'm assuming that you just lead with like, look, here's the experience and we'll kind of figure out what the value proposition is or how do you, how do you kind of toggle between the two in your I'm, mind? Yeah, I'm that first person you described. Yeah, I am the okay. creative person. I come in with the product and uh, I attract the people that are that will get involved in this business and then I hand it over to others to be responsible for the numbers, the spreadsheets, the uh, building the deck, the um, gotcha. pricing, all of that. I don't do that. Not in my uh, wheelhouse, so got to it, speak. Got it. So switching gears from it, just back to the growth. So in your next venture, whatever that is going to be, you know, it's funny. Someone's like, oh, Chick-fil-A just opened in New York City last year, right? It's like, okay, they've been around for like 70 years. <laughs> and they finally got to Manhattan. Like, what, what happened? Right? It's and like I they still just, haven't been. Oh, I still so have not had one. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I think they have two locations now. P- point is, like, it took them 70 years to get to New York City. Like, they obviously weren't in a rush, right? So, yes. um, And they knew that they could always go there if they wanted to, and they'll just find space. So, you know, as you think about the, the next venture here and, and what growth you want to be on and say, okay, here's a five-year plan and a five-year plan is not 250 studios, you know, across North America. And I want to basically allow other entrepreneurs to be able to say with a straight face when someone's like, hey, how many locations do you want to have? You know, I want to have like five locations and, you know, that's an okay answer. Um, so how do you think about the next phase and like everything you've learned about here's the pressure points, here's where things kind of go off ramp and here's where they could stay on. But if you're going to stay on, you got to invest and you got to create a big corporate overhead team. And, you know, it's a different mindset. You know, it's like monthly, what's our monthly financials look like versus like how many people are we, 
helping, you know, stay out of therapy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. we are the therapy and we yes. are building a community and this is awesome. Yes. So like what, there's, a, there's definitely this new age of impact investing and impact in social enterprise, but there's also not studios or concepts like this that are going to be nonprofits. Exactly. So like there's like a differential of like meeting the supply demand, I feel like. There is, and I would clearly be very mindful of that in whatever my next venture is. You know, as I said, based on my experience and especially with Flywheel, knowing that in 2014 when we had 21 studios, we were really thriving. Um, so moving forward, uh, again, the industry has also changed a lot in many different ways. Um, moving forward, again, my first emphasis is always going to be quality, community, authenticity, and maintaining those three components. So I don't know off the top of my head, I see a num- an expansion number of somewhere between 10 and 20 and, yep. no- and definitely no more. Gotcha. And I think there are still a lot of places in North America that have not even been touched upon yet that could use a great experience in boutique fitness. So I think about that a lot too. Got it. Great. So in, in closing, any other quotes or, or life lessons or anything to, to leave uh, our fellow entrepreneurs here who are thinking about their next big idea? Yes. Um, we talked about trust your gut. Um, a big one for me is always be well legally protected when you go into business. Um, choosing partners were, was always a challenge for me and I learned a lot from mistakes in that area. And so, you know, first and foremost, legal protection is very important because you're not always going to know if you made the right choice. Mm-hmm. And it could be someone you just met or it could be someone you've known 25 years. It doesn't matter. So that's always a huge piece of concrete advice I like we, to give. We, we, we concur. <laughs> well, we look forward to, uh, to to having you back on uh, when you launch your next venture. Hopefully we Thank can find you. some things to do together. Uh, feel free to use the term halo whenever you want I as a it. halo executive and enthusiast and um, to a great 2020. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Thanks Pete. For-